0: Welcome to a new episode of The Checkup. I'm Danielle Houston, and this is my podcast where we explore anything we want connected to employee benefits and human resources. This episode is part of a series that Regents Blue Shield and I have worked together to create. Our intent is to invite you all into these conversations so you can hear firsthand the work that's being done to drive change in healthcare the quality, the cost, and the accessibility. Today, I I have two experts with me who are well-qualified to share how Regents is driving change through value-based care and what all of that really means. So I'm excited for you to hear from both of them. Dr. Drew Oliveira, he's the Senior Executive Medical Director for Regents, and Christy Putnam, who is a Vice President here of Provider Partnership and Innovation, innovation of which Regents likes to do a lot of blaze your own trails, right? So why don't the two of you just tell us a little bit about yourself? Maybe, Dr. Drew, can we start with you?
1: Certainly. Hi. Hi. Th- thanks for having us.
0: Thanks for coming. Um,
1: so I'm a family physician by, by training. I spent probably the first two decades in more academic medicine. So I'm still on faculty at the University of Washington as, a, as an associate professor. But I spent the last 14 years on, on the health plan side with a couple of carriers and uh, have developed some pay for performance models, all the way up through what we're doing today in a much more robust value-based arrangements with our provider community to to really drive uh, improvements in care and quality and experience. Things we all want. Yes.
2: Christy, how about you? Yeah, and thank you for having us this morning. It's great to be here. So I had joined Regents about two years ago, and what really drew me to Regents is the cause of being a catalyst for transformation in healthcare, which is what my passion has always been. I've spent most of my career on the provider side and have worked also with other payers, and my passion is really the intersection of how the delivery of healthcare and the financing of healthcare come together and the qualities and capabilities that a payer brings to the table coupled with what a provider can bring to the table to really drive that transformation and what we're doing within provider partnership innovation is putting models together in collaboration with these providers that really do and we have results that show drive to lower cost better outcomes and a better coordinated
0: experience for our members. Again, things we all want, and I think we, at least the three of us and probably people who will listen are gonna share a passion too for, we've gotta do something different. What we've been doing is just not not working like we all think it should. So let's jump into just the first, the biggest question, value-based care. Tell us, tell us about that. Why is it important, but maybe start with what is it? Why is it different?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think there's lots of you know, you know, definitions about what what this really means, you know, and there's a whole spectrum of things when we think of a value-based arrangement, from just a, a very simple, you know, I'm going to pay the provider for you know doing something. Ac- you know, extra, like they take care of their diabetics in a different way. But fundamentally, what it really is all, all about is how do we improve the quality of care being provided? How do we improve the costs associated with that? How do we improve the experience that members have with the health system? And actually, how do we help providers in terms of being able to operate in the health system in a way that's easier? It's less hassles and less kind of craziness, if you will, in terms of all the different payers and all the different rules and things like that. And a lot of this stems from kind of the way we've been financing healthcare for the last 60 plus years, right? Right. You know, it was a finance mechanism. It was, we're going to pay a provider, a hospital, et cetera, for a service, and we would pay them a fee. So we typically call that a fee for Mm -hmm. service. And early on, there wasn't much attention paid to the service appropriate or not? Or, you know, is that cost too much? And and over time, as costs started rising, especially after the advent of Medicare in the 60s, we, we started seeing that we needed to put some types of limits on things. And that's where health plans kind of came in, in terms of trying to get control of the costs. But in doing so, they didn't really take control of the way we pay. We continue to pay on a a fee for each widget. But then we would say, well, maybe that widget's not necessary. So what did we do? We said we should do prior authorization. That's a barrier. It's a hassle. It's, you know, why did we do that? Well, because there were actually variations in care. Now we started seeing services being provided for reasons that may not be necessary. Or, they might be necessary, but they're not really things that would be covered under a health plan, like cosmetic surgery and things like that. So there's very valid reasons for for doing that. What we, we didn't get to until really much more recently, and the, really the last 10 years or so, is how do we fundamentally change what that fee and payment is? Because when you do fee for service, it encourages more services. That's right. And when you do more services, then... That doesn't help the costs and may not help the, the patient as well. So how do we better align how providers are functioning in the system a, a bit? Sort of take that widget, volume-based approach out and, and make it much more of a quality approach. So when, so when we think of a value-based arrangement, it's really providing more value for everybody. Value for the member, uh, it can actually provide more value for the provider as well. And ultimately, if you can get a better experience, better quality, actually costs go down o- over time. And, and that's really what we're trying to get to. And, of course, it, if it's an easier arrangement, it actually helps the providers and, and they're more satisfied with the delivery of care as well.
0: And I think it's important to call out that it simplifying things for providers as well has to be one of the things that we look at because the system bogs them down, too, from patient care, which is supposed to be their first (laughs) primary objective, right? You know,
1: the other thing with that is that, you know, providers for so long have been somewhat blind in terms of how they're doing. You know, we're all pretty smart people and we all did pretty well in school and we all and you, you did a
0: lot of school and we do. did a lot of school
1: and we all <laughs> you know think we're getting ace and we haven't really measured what we do now if you measure what we do we're all you know on average we're average and we don't like to see that and it's painful to see that and we try to talk about the data and say it must be wrong because how could I be average but you know what we are, and that average number may not be where we want it to be, because we all want to do a great job. We will all want our patients to have attained their most optimal health possible. Other things get in there, but, you know, now that we have data, and that's part of this value-based arrangement, maybe, Christy, will, will, we can talk about that a little bit more, but it's providing more more data, more rich data, more curated data, more patient-specific data, so that as a physician, I can take the right and most appropriate action with those members at the right time.
2: What I would build on what you're saying, Drew, is that in that fee-for-service world, it really focuses that provider down into the, what's happening right in front of me with this patient. This patient came in for a specific issue, and as a physician, I'm trained really well to deal with that issue and then the next patient comes in and I'm dealing with that issue. And the same as the situation in the emergency room, somebody comes in with an urgent, emergent condition, really good delivery system at dealing with that issue. What value-based care does is pulls up a level so that you're getting that really great immediate care that that needs to happen at that point of care. But it provides an incentive for that, a reward for that provider and that delivery system to look at what's happening outside of that visit. So Sally Sue hasn't been in to see me for a while. She has diabetes. I can see that she's not taking her insulin as prescribed based on the reports that I'm getting from regents. I need to reach out to her and find out what's going on or have somebody on my care team, which now that I have some more resources through this value-based program, I can have someone on my care team that I can afford to pay now to come in and do that outreach and let's figure out what's going on with Sally Sue. And so it gives this broader picture view, and that's really where we're moving upstream to figure out how do we keep some of that care that doesn't need to be going to an emergency room because someone's not taking their insulin in this example and get them that care earlier on. And that's what leads to lower cost because coming to the provider's office rather than the emergency room is much more affordable. Mm -hmm. It's better quality because she didn't end up needing to go to that level of health challenge before she got care. And it's a better experience because, let's face it, who wants to actually go to the emergency room?
0: No one really, yeah, it's it's a terrible experience if you haven't had to do it recently. Well, I think I like to think of it, too, when you guys talk about the way you want to equip and kind of elevate that that level of service even for the providers is that that whole notion that medicine is just as much art as it is science. So you are giving the artist some more supplies, some higher quality supplies perhaps from which to create. So we we've, we've talked about really what the value-based care is, why it's important, even the fact that you know, where we started with insurance was about paying for the service every time something was going to happen. So, when you think about where this value-based care is with Regents today, you know, what does that, what does that look like?
1: I'll start and I'll I'll have Christy jump in. You know, part of what we want to do is have the majority of our providers on a value-based arrangement. You know, there will be circumstances where that just isn't possible. But uh, we anticipate having, you know, uh, eventually 70% plus of our provider contracts having some form where they're rewarded for the better quality and the better experience. We we currently have seventy-five of these arrangements in our four state regions, so that's that's great. I think the really interesting and important piece is how the members experience it. You know, members don't typically have a great experience with their health insurer. They you know, we don't get rated very high. But in these arrangements we are rated like Apple, like Amazon, like some of those other places, net promoter scores in the in the mid to high sixties. So that you know, it is working from the member experience side. And we, we can talk about some of the, the clinical and, and financial improvements that we're seeing as well. But it's having those that ability to collaborate with the providers, to give them those tools as artists, like you mentioned, where maybe they didn't have those tools before, but also being able to provide some best practices to them that other health systems might be using, and/or bringing some of the technology to them that you know, they really haven't thought about in the mm-hmm. past.
0: Right, or maybe they couldn't afford it. Right, right. These are big. These are big investments. So it's important to note that this isn't something that regions just started a year or so ago. This is a long-standing endeavor right? Yeah. How right. far back are you? Are we dating here that you guys have been working on this? Yeah.
2: We began developing our value-based arrangements back in 2011. It took quite a bit of development and effort to get those stood up, to go out and negotiate contracts with providers, explain the program, develop the reporting and the capabilities to be able to share back data with them, to empower them to deliver care in this, you know, higher-level view, population health type of a perspective. We launched our first value-based programs back in 2013, so we have quite a bit of experience under our belt with having these across our four-state footprint within Idaho, Washington, Utah, and Oregon markets. Mm -hmm. And as Drew has mentioned, we've seen excellent results as it relates to the experience that members are giving us feedback on from a net promoter score. We also see much better coordination of care through these arrangements in the form of fewer emergency room visits and medical appointments that are necessary rather than those that are not. So we have some data that show that. As well as we've been able to pay out incentives in pretty significant numbers to providers to reward them for the work that they're doing in this space.
0: Because they're doing it. Yeah. Given the opportunity and the engagement, they're responding, yeah. which, is, which is great to hear. And in
2: these arrangements, we want to pay out every single dollar that those providers can earn because these models align our incentives as a payer to the incentives of that provider. So for every dollar we pay out, it's benefiting the payer, it's benefiting the provider, and most importantly, it's benefiting the member because they're getting access to that better quality cost and experience
0: yeah which you know we we forget about them sometimes when we're going about our day to days i think at least sometimes it's hard to it's hard to remember that within the budget and in the benefit summaries and all of that are people that that use them. So so you guys know, you know, I'm a broker. I help employers navigate this changing landscape and and try to help them make the best decision they can for their employees. So how how can I help employers understand that advantage? and to help them be brave enough to take a leap into something that looks mm-hmm. a little bit different.
2: Yeah. Well, as you very well know, employers are faced with rising health care costs. They're looking for programs and services that are gonna help control that cost and deliver value to their employees that are an important asset to doing their business. And so we recognize that employers have different situations that they're faced with, and that the, the approach that Regents brings to the table can't be a one-size-fits-all approach. We need to have a variety of options by which an employer can participate in these value-based arrangements. And there are a couple of key ways that an employer can take advantage of our programs. The first is through a broad, our broad network uh, PPO that's available. And what we do is through these contracts that we have set up for value-based care is that they're attached to that broad ppo so by just participating in our ppo you're getting access to a number of different arrangements and i'll provide a short list of those so one of them that we have in place is our pay for performance model so this is set up with hospitals uh, today we're looking at also expanding this model to Pull in some additional types of providers, but at a hospital level, what this does is there's a set of quality metrics, and if that hospital is able to achieve those quality metrics and demonstrate that value, they're able to earn additional fee for service increases the following payment periods. Mm-hmm. Another is that we have a Blue Distinction Specialty Care Program, which is specialties, there's seven different specialties that are included in this program, and these providers have come forward and completed some pretty extensive documentation and and demonstrated their quality results to show that they are delivering to evidence-based standards. And so that's something that's available for the PPO. We also have our attribution model; we call it, which is a we, it's a total cost of care. And what attribution means is it looks at who is the physician that this member is going to most of the time for their care. And there's a whole you know set of rules that go behind that. But if you saw Doctor Jones more than you saw Doctor Smith, you would be attributed to Doctor Jones. So okay. then Doctor Jones is now accountable in this model for your care. And so we provide Dr. Jones with the data and the information that he needs or she needs about what's going on with your care so that they can do proactive outreach, it's time for a mammography, it's time for a colonoscopy, let's get you in and get that scheduled, that they can see, oh, this person's been to the emergency room, let's follow up and find out what's going on and make sure that they have the care and resources that they need. And at the end of that, if the provider performs to a specific target, and a cost target and has achieved quality metrics, they get to earn some of that savings that they generated. So that's, again, what I'm saying, that we want to pay these providers every dollar that they can earn because when they do well it's better for our members and that's really what we're looking for here.
0: And I think some of those things absolutely would resonate with employers when some of the things that they speak of, the things that concern them, when we can see how few people might take advantage of preventive care yeah. and mammography when they know they have diabetics who either using too much insulin or not enough insulin and how do we because we all know too at the end of the day if if Regions calls people to say, why haven't you picked up your medication? That feels differently than having Absolutely. your doctor's office yes. call.
2: And we want to empower our doctors to do that because they're they the ones that have the relationship. Yeah. And so if they—if we can put the tools, the data and the tools in their hands to, to empower them to do that, that's really what we're trying to do here.
0: And they must love the reporting. Have you had much feedback or interaction from those providers about how they feel about that connection to the data.
2: Yeah, we often hear that our reports that we provide are superior to ones that they may receive elsewhere. And then we have some providers that just take our raw data and they have their own very sophisticated tools that they can you know, generate their own reports as well. And so that gives them, you know, some additional views and perspective that allow them to pull in their own electronic medical record data to augment that. So we look at both of those perspectives of additional insights we can bring to the table, as well as what they're able to bring to the table from their electronic medical records. The, okay. other, the other program that I would add that that um, is part of, to go back to your question about how can an employer participate in this is that we are getting ready to roll out an episode of care model, which is, you know, think about it as complementary to our total cost of care model that I just described, but for specialists. So when you have an episode of care, let's say you need to go in for a knee replacement, we're now saying that that specialist is accountable for that entire episode of care from when, you know, imaging may first occur to, physical therapy and rehab afterward, any readmission that may occur if there was some sort of an error, or infection that happened, that they're, they would be accountable for that entire episode. And if they can deliver that at a lower price point while hitting quality metrics, they get to earn some of that shared savings. So that's another way that we're augmenting the types of services that are available on the PPO. I would call out, though, that what we would need from the brokers is helping the employers to understand that. And the employers do, while it's available on a PPO, they do have
0: to choose. They have to opt into those programs. Right. And that's always, we all have choices. So let's understand them and choose wisely. I would also like to point out when you talk about how those providers are going to be incentivized for the cost and for the quality, this is what makes it different from an HMO. And I hear that question when I talk about, value-based care, that's nearly always the first thing that happens is this is an HMO plan, isn't it? Well, it might be HMO-esque, but the underlying pieces of you're not incentivizing providers to not do what they're supposed to do, you're incentivizing providers to do what they need to and to do it well,
2: right, would yep. be the key difference. Yeah. Would you agree? Well, what I've just described, those programs that I've just described, those are not an HMO. Those are on top of a broad PPO. We do have other options, which is the second area, which are more more focused networks that are centered around a delivery system and their key partners. Those are the ones that may feel more HMO-esque, even though they're not technically HMOs. Mm -hmm. But what you get with that, so this is the other option for an employer, what they would get with that is a lower cost upfront. Typically, there's around an 8% cost differential, which can be passed on to the member as well. And because this network is, this care is surrounded within a specific network, there's tighter coordination of care for that member. And there's a deeper relationship with that delivery system, all of their information in a single electronic medical medical record, for example, so that the care team is able to really manage that care and provide the best care for for that patient. And we have those available in Washington with our four accountable health networks in King, Pierce, and Snohomish counties. That includes the Eastside Health Network, MultiCare Connected Care, the University of Washington Medical Center, as well as one that we have with the Everett Clinic in Washington. We have these also in our Idaho markets um, in a a program we call Medical Neighborhood. And then in Oregon, we have similar arrangements for the individual market.
0: What's exactly a Medical Neighborhood?
2: The Medical Neighborhood, yes. That one is, think about a neighborhood of different primary care provider groups, and a member can choose any of those primary care groups to be their this is where i'm going to go for primary care. okay. so that's the neighborhood that they're in and that that primary care group is going to coordinate all of their care. on the back end they have access to any of the specialists, any of the hospitals that are in that network.
0: okay. so it's just the maybe the front door. It's the looks front door a little bit different. It is okay. the front door is a little bit
1: different. and, okay. and i think the thing with uh, from an employer standpoint when you look at these more product based models of a high-performance network is that they may already have a lot of their members going to those already. So for that member, there's really no disruption. The member has already made the choice to to be in one of these arrangements. They just don't know they are. And you can select, you know, have them select from the member standpoint, not the employer. The employer might offer both. But the member might say, I can get, I can save 8%. That's huge. And go where I'm going anyway. Yeah. Why wouldn't I do that? Yeah, and no. so so it's I think employers have to understand that they they while they have a choice, they can make have that choice for the member and they can get the savings and better quality, yeah, in, in doing so.
0: That's a really good segue into the next piece, which is really okay. We've talked about what value-based care is. We've talked about you know things that employers should understand and and be aware of. In here, let's dig in a little more into what that patient or the employee experience. You've touched on a couple things, sure. but I'd I'd love you to dive well, deeper.
1: Well, we've sort of talked about you know the old model, mm-hmm. and the old model is you know you go to your doc. You go to your specialist. The specialist doesn't have the information from the first doc. They reorder tests and labs. Uh, then you happen to go to urgent care. They see you and, and give you you know some medications that are now interacting with the first doc's medication, and no one knows any of this stuff. And that siloed approach to healthcare is very, one very frustrating, and and two, you know, could be dangerous. Yeah. You know, you're diabetic. You're on a medication called metformin your kidneys are starting to fail, but the first person doesn't know that, you need to stop that medication, and yet no one is really monitoring that because you were seen in Nevada while you were traveling at an urgent care center. So that type of of care is very fragmented, very frustrating, making appointments and all those things get problematic as well. In a more value-based arrangement where you have coordinated care, coordinated data, and more consistency around that care, Now that data starts coming back into that, either the attributed doc or the health system to start managing, where they can notice that, hey, wait a second, this person was seen in another ER outside of our state. We would never have had that information before. Now we actually have that information. And maybe we even have that lab result. And uh uh-oh, we have to take action on that right away. So that's outside of that typical visit. Because as physicians, we were taught you do visits, now you're really looking at it from a population health standpoint where you have resources that can address those things. You can also, in those arrangements, make it easier for members to make appointments. They can have preferred lines. They can have, because if you think about it from the health system side, they want those people to come to their system and not some other system. So having better data, having a better experience, those members are much more likely to stay with them as their provider. The other thing that we do that's probably a little different than others is we actually have a whole nursing team that works with our health system providers. We call it Common Care because we are taking care together, you know. And some health systems have very good programs and services but they don't have all the programs and services to manage a total population. So Common Care can help fill those gaps and we can share the responsibilities. So one system might have a great diabetic program you know what, we're gonna refer everyone into that diabetic program, we're gonna make sure that those members get their care there. But they may not have anything for autoimmune disorders, managing those high cost meds. And so we're gonna take on that responsibility for the health system and to help coordinate those those services a little bit better, make sure that they're actually taking their medications and give that feedback back to the providers so that they understand that yep, we're we're good. It's really interesting as a physician we write prescriptions all the time. The problem is that people take them only half the time.
0: Yeah, is is that the adherence? You call that the adherence rate? Yeah, medication
1: right? adherence. So,
0: and is it truly about fifty percent?
1: It's actually about fifty percent when you look at are they are they taking it. The appropriate amount at the appropriate time. So we can see some of that data come through because we see how often people refill their medications. And if you're taking less than 80% of your prescribed medication, you probably shouldn't take it at all. And so, how do we get that number up? How do we inform the doc that, hey, you know, it looks like they took the first month, but they didn't take the second month? And just so the doc can say, okay, I got to give them a call and find out what happened. You know, and it might be, well, my neighbor told me not to take it because they said it was rat poison. Which it actually might be. It might be a warfarin because <laughs> you're trying to thin their blood, but it still might be really important to take. And
0: now we're telling doctor jokes, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's true. I think there's, and I'm sure you, you guys also share a number of examples, the things that you hear from patients about why they don't take it, mm-hmm. whether they don't understand, maybe they have misinformation, or maybe they couldn't get a ride to the pharmacy and they don't know how to get something turned into mail order. Sometimes well, there's the
1: lots, of, lots of things that get in the way because healthcare is a little bit complex. So you may go into the hospital and you may have started on four different medications when you walked in there. Now you had a heart attack while you're in the hospital, you're put on four new medications. But some may overlap or be contraindicated with some of the first ones. And sometimes you don't get that very clear when you leave the hospital. So that's where someone working with us in conjunction with the provider can help with what we call medication reconciliation. Are you on the right meds? Do you know the right meds to take? Do you know why you're taking them? Do you know which ones you need to throw away because you shouldn't take those anymore. And, and so you're not duplicating things. You're not taking two of the same medications or things like that, mm. because that can certainly lead to more complications.
2: And the great thing about this common care program where we have a common care plan with the provider is that we're sitting down and having a conversation with the provider to coordinate care who's going to do the outreach, what is the information that you have that we may not have, and how we're sharing each other's information from the clinical view that they have in the electronic medical record, the claims data that we may be able to see, care that's happening outside of the four walls of the provider's clinic, and we're sitting down and reviewing that together and agreeing who's going to be following up with the patient. Because historically what's happened is that the health plan may follow up, and the provider may follow up at best it's confusing and and frustrating for the member at worst you're getting conflicting information because it's not coordinated so what we're doing is really making sure that that messaging and that touch point is is coordinated and then following up with one another if the provider's reaching out they're going to follow up with us at the next conversation of what's happening or we'll do the same vice versa if we're the one that's taking lead and we're seeing really good results from it it's been our members have been very satisfied with the collaboration that they're now seeing between the health plan and the provider are working together for my best
0: interest. It's been very exciting. Which is, you know, truly a new day in medicine, right? Yeah. Great lead. I'm sorry, but it's a great lead into what are the numbers telling you about value-based care?
2: Yeah, and the numbers are, we're seeing very positive numbers. So a few that I would call out, from the standpoint of better health, so we're seeing 20% better care gap closure rates for members that are participating in these value-based arrangements compared to those that aren't. A care gap closure would be, let's say you have a chronic condition, and based on that chronic condition, you should be getting an annual eye exam if you have diabetes, for example or let's say you've turned 50 and now it's time for you to get a colonoscopy. If you're not getting that evidence-based care, that's what we would call a care gap. Okay. So what we're seeing in these value-based arrangements is fewer care gaps, 20% better care gap closure rates for members that are participating in these arrangements.
0: Well, most of us are gonna be so much more apt to schedule something or do it if someone calls us first, right? right? Yes, there's that's that proactive outreach so out and <laughs> the
2: view that, oh, this needs to happen. Let's yeah. let's make sure that this member, this patient knows that that needs to happen. We're also seeing lower out-of-pocket costs from the perspective of about 2 to 3% lower claims cost. And that really points back, back to, avoiding unnecessary care, moving care up earlier in that continuum so that we're avoiding hospitalizations and emergency room visits. We see one and a half percent fewer hospital admissions, 2.8 percent fewer ER visits, and that translates to real dollars because those every time that you can avoid that, that's where the cost in the system is really occurring. And if we can get that upstream better for the member. And
0: uh-huh. obviously we can hope as these programs expand too, those numbers should only become larger. Yes, uh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. How much of your population right now is in a value-based care arrangement?
2: Yeah, so Roughly. we have... of the dollars that we pay out, and that's across the four states, it's actually a little bit higher in Washington. That's closer, yeah, it's um, closer to 50% of our dollars are in a value-based arrangement. It's a bigger
0: number than I thought it was going to be. Interesting. Okay. And then you had called out, there were a couple of maybe examples here around patient savings. Do you want to maybe get into... Those the savings around medical and pharmacy claims that you noted. Yeah, and it kind of
2: translates back to that two and three percent claim savings cost. But from a member's perspective, we're seeing about ten dollars per month, or one hundred and twenty dollars less. And you know who who doesn't want an extra one hundred and twenty dollars in their po- pocket that they're seeing? It's a few yeah. more trips to Starbucks. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's and that's averaged out across a pretty broad population and each individual can have you know their uh-huh. own experience and 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 more if they're especially if they really have a lot of chronic conditions that they're managing or a lot of issues that they're dealing yeah. with yeah.
1: and i would just add that what's not included in there is really from a from an employer standpoint and an employee as they have an easier way to schedule appointments as their health improves yeah. They're actually showing up to work. Um, right. There's less absenteeism, but it's also less presenteeism issues so that there's a multiplier effect to this that we just don't see on the medical claim side.
0: Right, right. But interesting to at least look at that from a whole big picture because it's not just about keeping people out of the emergency room to that to that point. So – what does the future look like yeah. for value-based care in regions? We're
2: excited about some new programs that we're getting ready to roll out and some others that we have in development. The premise of all of this is that these models lead to better care for our members, and so we want more of the care that's being delivered to fall under these types of models that are aligning the incentives of the, the provider and the plan to better outcomes, better cost, better experience. So we have a few different things that we're working on. One is that we're looking at our existing models and continuing to refine those so that it's easier for our providers to engage with us. To the extent that we put together complex arrangements that maybe are conflicting with what others, what they're having to do with other payers, they're gonna be less likely to engage. So we're really looking at that and simplifying our arrangements, aligning our quality metrics so that they match up with what other payers have, and that really eases the way for the provider that they're not having to do this for regions, this for this for another payer, really looking at how we make that easier. So that's one of the ways we're doing that. We're also adding some additional programs. I've touched on them just briefly in our previous parts of our conversation, but this episode of care model where we're starting to look at how do we bring specialists into these types of arrangements is something that we're going to be rolling out in 2020. We're really excited about it. We're going to start in Washington and expand that over time. And we're going to begin with some basic procedures, such as I was mentioning hips and knees, some spine procedures, some of those higher volume types of procedures. Our intent over time is to actually expand that to some condition management where a provider would be rewarded for managing diabetic care for a specific period of time and everything that goes into managing that. So looking at some innovative new ways of doing that. We're also looking at How do we touch providers in rural communities? It's easy to do these value-based arrangements where there's large population bases because you have enough membership that you can do the analytics that need to occur. It's more challenging to do that when the membership numbers are small. But it's equally as important that we have programs in place that are aligning the payment of care with the outcomes that we're looking for. So we have a lot of innovative work that's going on to develop some models that can work for providers that have fewer members that would attribute to them than than we do in some of our larger population base. So we're excited about that. There's a a lot of work that's going on in that area.
0: Sounds like there are a number of opportunities and ways that you could take this and uh, deliver all kinds of great options for people to do something different with their health care.
2: Yes, absolutely. And I would think that the number one thing that some of the employers can do is, you know, really consider participating, opt into the programs. They're available, they're proving results, and we'd love to, you know, ensure that your members are getting access to the
0: same great care. Yes. Anything else the two of you want to Leave us with? We've covered a lot of ground. We have. Yeah. I don't
2: think I have anything else to add. It's been a pleasure talking with you today.
1: It's been fabulous.
0: Well, likewise, and I hope as Regents continues to build on these programs that you'll come back and share more with us. Like I had mentioned in the beginning, really, our intent is you know to create this as an opportunity for people to join us at – this table though they might be listening you know a couple of weeks from now to be able to hear things that they otherwise aren't hearing because they don't get to come sit in conventions and conferences and hear these things like we do. So I really appreciate you sharing your expertise and your time with us. And I hope that our listeners have learned something new about Regents and the value you bring to members, which really does go far beyond paying a claim or answering customer service calls, which I think is where we often kind of peg an insurance So I hope that learning this information gives our listeners new optimism about what's being done in healthcare to drive some positive change. We've talked about it. We have options. We aren't stuck. So the big question really is how brave will you be to do something different? So if you want to learn more about value-based care, let's talk. If you want to hear more content like this, you can follow the checkup on iTunes, Stitcher, or go to PropelInsurance.com. And you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're all in this together. So until next time, thanks for checking in.